Straight from the poem that we started with today, basically the question I want us to wrestle with is whether we matter, whether we count. Look back over Christmas, like, did it matter? Did it count? Look back over this last year, did it matter? Did it count? And the minute you ask that question, you have to start saying, well, how do I measure that? I was working hard for that promotion, and so I got it. So I achieved something I was looking forward to. We were struggling with something in our family, and we overcame that struggle. And so, yeah, it mattered. It was worth it because we got past this. We accomplished this. Um, you know, we saw someone in our family who'd been praying for come to the Lord, put their trust in Jesus to lead and save their souls. So that mattered, that counted. But it depends on how you measure it, right? It depends on how you measure it. Now, if we take Jesus' measurement, it's love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus' measurements are those five. So before we read any wisdom about what it looks like, Think to yourself, how would you measure yourself in this past year on that scale? Did you love God with all of your heart? Did you love God? Did I love God with everything that I've got? And then I think back and I'm like, I wanted to, but I know there are times where I didn't. And I, I was hoping for this, but I, I got this. And I was thinking this, but then this Happen. You see the reality of trying to be wholehearted in your love for God. Not loving money so much that we're worried about it when it goes away. Not loving our family so much that we're obsessed with trying to keep it together and make everything turn out the right way. Not loving our lives so much that we're not willing to take a risk on God's sake, for God's sake. You know, do we love God with all our heart? That's first in the list of Jesus' big five. Just love God. Did that happen for you this year? You love God? And if you loved him, was it all of your love? Was it all of my love? That's his measurement scale. And instead of that being a way to kind of like take us down a peg, like, no, I failed, it's meant to be a standard to say, look, look at what he has for you, how good it's meant to be. There are times, right, where we just feel like we just love God so much. And there's other times we feel like we just can't feel him. And we don't feel it. Do we believe the way we did? Do we feel just that love? God wants that for us. He wants you to love him 100%. He wants that for me. And it feels like if we could do that, <laughs> if we could just love him, everything else would fall into place. But don't just love him with all your heart. Love him with all your mind. Were all of our thoughts focused on him? Did we fill him, fill our minds with thoughts of him? Were we thinking about him? Were we trying to understand God more? Were we trying to wrestle with deeper things in our faith? Well, that's a measurement, whether our life mattered, whether it counts. Love God, Lord, you got with all your heart, with all your soul, all your personality. What makes you, you? Did you give all of you to God, the unique things that make you God? Heart, soul, mind, strength. Did you serve him? Did you either fill some backpacks or shovel some snow or give rides to people in your car who needed it or make phone calls or give hugs or tutor someone or mentor someone or show someone kindness in a physical kind of way? Did you put your back into it? Did you get your hands dirty? 
Because if we say those things, those four things, then plus loving your neighbor as yourself, then according to Jesus' measurement, our lives mattered. It counted. It's your counts. We want our lives to count for something. The problem is we measure it by all the wrong things. We think it counts because I was able to do this. It counts because we're able to get there, or it counts because I was able to learn this, and we have these like achievement standards. The Word of God doesn't give us achievement standards. It gives us identity standards. Are we God's? Have we become His 100%? Because if you become His 100%, if I become His 100%, if I love Him more than I love everything, and if I'm serving Him more than I'm doing anything else, all the achievements will just fall into place because you're just poured in. You're 100%. That's the standard. Just love them and see what happens from there. But whenever we try to accomplish things in his name or for ourselves, it ends up being, what have you done for me lately? And then when we feel like we haven't done much for God lately, we're like, well, he must be pretty disappointed with me because what have I done for him lately? What you've done for him lately is you've been his child, and he's wanted to spend time with you because he loves you. And if you do a lot for him or a little for him, that's not what's going to make him love you more or less. He just loves you. That's the grace of it all. So as we look back over the last year, we can say the things that happened, but those are the details. (laughs) The measurement of whether our year counted is whether we loved God. We love him. We love him so much that everything else falls into place. So I thought to help focus us in this way, we should read from Ecclesiastes. This is an awesome book. It comes across as like pessimistic and cynical and like ironic and all these negative sorts of things. It is not at all. It's just cutting through the crap. That's what this book is about. It's like, don't talk to me about this. That's secondary. Don't talk to me about this. That's a dead end. Don't t- what actually matters. And I've heard people say, and I think that this is probably accurate, that there are three books in the Old Testament that Solomon wrote, and it's suggested that he wrote one when he was young, one in kind of like the the strength of his life right in the middle, and then one at the end of his life looking back. So it's Song of Songs, which is a love song about love. Totally feels like a young person striving towards their bride and the love of their life. It's a picture of our love for God. That's one of the books that he wrote. The second one is Proverbs, kind of in the height of his fame. He was the wisest man who ever lived. So it's just, this is true, and this is true, and this is true. Advice on how to live. Ecclesiastes is one that makes a lot of sense for him to have written at the end of his life, looking back. All those things that I thought were important, he says, you know what? It was way more basic than I ever realized. Way more simple, the core of it all. And so he's not the the young man idealizing love and life, and he's not the man in the middle of his life just figuring out what works, what doesn't work. He's at the end looking back and saying, what matters? Tracy, I think you used the comment, you know, in this season where you're in this like end of one season, you look back and you're like, you know, some of the things I thought were the thing, they weren't the thing. That's what this book is about. What's the thing? And it focuses on God in a great way. So I'd like to read an extended section starting in chapter 1. And I would like you all just to follow along with me. This isn't a sermon where I'm going to exposit every single verse. This is a sermon where I would like you to hear the word of God spoken to you and recognize how amazing it is that something written, 
you know, 3,000 years ago can still be relevant to our lives today because God's truth does not change. This book does not change. God does not change. And we're just people. So put us in a toga 2,000 years ago or put us in who knows what they wore 4,000 years ago and we're still just people. And this speaks to how God knows people work. This is the wisdom of Solomon looking back over a long life as we look back over our year. I hope that some of these things are a little bit of a wake-up call for some of us. You know what? I really worked hard at that this past year. That might not have been the thing. I don't know if that actually mattered. And as we look at the next year, let's look forward saying what matters. So would you just follow with me as we let the wisdom of Solomon speak? He's way wiser than I lived and saw much more than me. I don't want to give you my wisdom. I'd rather just read to you his and let it teach us what God thinks the point of this is. One more note before we start. Trailblazers, I see you scattered around. If you're smart, if you're wise beyond your years, you will listen to what a really smart, really old person says. Because you can avoid all the things that they spent a lifetime doing wrong. You can. You can just avoid them. You don't have to make any of the mistakes they made because you could just learn from them. This is actually an opportunity for you to hear from someone who is way more than me, way more than any of us here, wisest person who ever lived. If you, at the beginning of this season in your life, beginning of your lives, take some of these things, take one thing to heart and live by it, you will be wiser than anyone around you because you'll actually be using God's wisdom to shape where you go instead of looking back like he did and be like, I tried all that. A lot of that stuff just didn't work. It took me a long time to realize it didn't work. This is an opportunity for you to gain wisdom before you've learned it yourself. Gain it from someone else. So we're going to start in verse 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 12. <clears throat> Solomon writes, I, the preacher, or the teacher, as is translated sometimes, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem. He's the king. And I applied my heart to seek out and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. He's trying to be the smartest person alive. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, it's all vanity, which means useless. It's all chasing after the wind. Because what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And I perceive that this also is but a striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation or suffering. And he who increases in knowledge increases in sorrow. What does it gain us if we become the smartest? What does it matter in the long run if we have five college degrees or no college degrees? Can someone with five college degrees, you know, an extended doctorate and master's and all these things <clears throat> be a terrible person? Have a life that does not count? Yes. So then it wasn't the education that determined who they were going to be, who their identity was. That was just a detail along the way that made them a smarter version of whoever they actually are. 
Can a person with not even a high school diploma be a valuable, loving, powerful person in the world? Right. So the education is a detail. Helps you go where you're going. It's a good thing, but it's not the thing. It's making you a more capable version of yourself. But who are you? It's like amplifying you. But what's it amplifying? That's still you. And that's not going to come with school. It does not matter how smart you get. Your smarts will not make you who you are. They're just going to give you opportunity to be more of it. Education is a beautiful thing. So many of us have the privilege for it. Pursue education. Pursue wisdom. Pursue knowledge. It's of value. But it's not the thing. Chapter 2. The vanity of self-indulgence. I know I need to listen to this. I know we Americans need to listen to this. Probably everyone worldwide needs to listen to this. It's a human trait, but just doing what we want for us. Solomon's wisdom on that. I said in my heart, okay, come now. I will test you, meaning test life, with pleasure. I will enjoy, he says, test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity, was useless. I said of laughter, it's mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom. How to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. So he's drinking wine, he's partying, he's enjoying life to see, but he's observing at the same time. Does this help me? Does this get me anywhere? Does it matter? Okay, so he goes on. He says, I made great works. He's the king, right? So he's building huge things. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks, planted in them all kind of fruit trees. I made myself pools from with which to water the forest of growing trees. So he's got this whole agricultural system going on. He's doing this. Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and slaves who were born in my house. So he has all these servants, this huge household. I also had a great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the children of man. So I became great, and I surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I didn't keep from them. I kept from my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done, and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, it was all useless, a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So he's got more houses. So he's got more things. So he enjoyed himself. It didn't change life. It just gave him a point of effort. It gave him a point of distraction. It gave him something to do, something he enjoyed. But then when it's done, then you got to do it again. Or then you need to find something else. None of those was the answer. And for many of us, we're finding things to do that are either a job to do to keep us busy or fun to have to keep us entertained. But what's it for? Does it matter? Does it count? We're probably still somewhere in the middle trying to get that thing. We're trying to get that house that we want or get that job. So we may say we don't know if it counts yet, but we know it's what we're shooting for because it's what we want. It's our ambition. Take it from someone who got all the way there, got farther than you'll ever get and I'll ever get in my life. 
It wasn't the point. The doing, the getting, the achieving wasn't the point. It didn't satisfy him. It didn't show him what his reason was for existing. It was just stuff to do. All right, let's continue. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can man do who come, what can the man do who comes after the king? Well, he can only do what's already been done. So the next generation is just going to do what we did, and the next generation is that sort of thing. Verse 13. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than folly, so better to be wise than stupid. And there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks around in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. I said in my heart, what happens to the fool, meaning at the end of your life, will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? I said in my heart, this is also useless. For of the wise, as of the fool, there's no enduring memory, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity, all is useless, and a striving after the wind. If we get a lot and then we die, we still just come to an end. If we get a little and then we die, we still just come to an end. If we're very, very smart, we still come to the same end. If we have no education, no intelligence, we still come to the same end. He's like, what, what's the point of this if it isn't achieving something? If it's not trying to get somewhere, if the destination isn't the point, then any destination will do. Anything that we're striving for will do. It's not trying to get where we're going because where we're going ultimately is the grave. From there to meet God and from there to eternity. So all of a sudden he's saying, end is the end is the end, but the end leads to something else. So what actually is going to happen here that's going to impact the big picture? I hated all my work, all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Build up a big inheritance and then die and just leave it. And who knows whether he will be wise or a fool, yet he'll be master of all for which I worked and used my wisdom under the sun. This is also useless. So I turned around and gave my heart up to despair over the toil of all my labors under the sun, because sometimes... A person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not work for it. This is also useless. It's a great evil. What has a man from all his work and striving of heart for which he toils beneath the sun? His days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation or frustration. Even in the night, his heart doesn't rest. This is vanity. He's getting to a concluding point here, right? He's, he's walking us through what he did, his experiences, and he's starting to draw some conclusions. We need to pay attention to this. He says, There is nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his work. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from God, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This is also vanity, and it's a striving after the wind. 
He says, it's actually recognizing that where you are right now is powerful, is a place where God can use you and a place where you can have joy. All of it's from God, and it doesn't matter whether you get to here or here or here. It's who you are for him. If you are the person that's working so hard for the job that you're losing your marriage and losing your relationship with your kids, then who you are right now is a person with a bad marriage and a bad relationship with their children, not a successful business person. That's who you are. What you're doing is being a successful business person. What's going to matter? What's going to count? <laughs> if you're a person that's just having fun in life and going from party to party or friend to friend and just trying to enjoy life, then who are you? See, it says the person who matters is the person who recognizes that God has given you purpose and you take joy in what you've been called to do. So the person who's not living with purpose actually doesn't have a reason for being. Because the pleasure will come and go, and at the end you'll say, who was I? If my point was just to watch every movie on Netflix, and I get to the end of that and I achieve my goal, who was I? You were a couch potato. You were useless to the world. If your purpose is to have fun with your friends and you go from party to party to party, then who were you? You were a happy person that accomplished nothing with your life for as long as that happens. And addiction, we talked about that earlier, praying for people who are struggling with it and praising God for those who step out of it. Addiction locks people into that place where they almost can't be good for anyone else because their whole purpose is focused on satisfying that sin which has ownership of them, that desire, that craving. It's sort of like entertainment taken to the addictive level. It's these things which we just want for ourselves which become obsessive. We don't look at a, an addict and say, that's a beneficial life. We don't look at an addict and say, that person is you know, serving God and, and changing the world. We look at a person and we say, we need God to set that person free because what's running their life is destroying them and the people around them. So that's how it is with our mini pleasures, our smaller pleasures, which we don't think are obsessive, but we do all the time. So what's the difference? If we just do what makes us feel good all the time, is there any difference between that and an addiction? In the end, we're still just self-serving. We've been useless. That's not living with purpose and finding joy in work. There is such a thing as joy in work, as recognizing you've been put on this planet for a reason, and you're doing it right now. For those that are looking for jobs, look for a place where you can fulfill your purpose in that season for why God has you on this planet. Not just for a place where you can get good promotions or not just for a place that can give you a paycheck, not just for a place to provide for your needs. You want a place you can say, I've been put here to find joy in this and to do good. Can this job give me the opportunity to do that? What people will I work around? What things will I accomplish? Where will I go to work? Where will I commute? What will it look like? Because it would be no greater thing than to find joy in being of use for the Lord, loving what he's called us to do. Flip over to chapter 5. This is the last portion that we're going to read. The whole book is great. 
don't have time to read the whole thing, so we're not going to. We'll start at verse 8. If you see in the province, you know, in your area, the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, don't be amazed at the matter. For the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way. A king who is committed to cultivating fields. When those who are in charge actually care about what happens to the little people, now that's an amazing place. You know, when you see the poor and poverty and injustice and oppression is happening, it means that those who are charged with watching over it are not doing their jobs. But they just answer to someone else who answers to someone else who answers to someone else who actually doesn't know what's going on. Christians are supposed to be feet on the ground type of people meeting practical needs. That is good for a land when those who have authority actually serve. And that's what he's saying here. Keep going. Uh, verse uh, 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When our goods increase, those increase who eat them. So when our money goes up, our cost of living goes up, we just spend more money. We spend beyond our means. This was written, by the way, you know, thousands of years ago, so spending beyond our means is not a new concept. It's just what people do, right? Verse 11, when the goods increase, they increase who eat them. What advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, someone who works, whether he eats a little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. When you're worried about protecting your wealth, it's a different thing than just saying, I worked an honest day's work. Can't wait to fall asleep tonight. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he's father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. And he came from his mother's womb, and he shall go back again naked as he came, and he shall take nothing in his hand when he dies. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness and much vexation and sickness and anger. So here, conclusion time, folks. End of chapter 5. This is the point Solomon's driving at. Behold what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, to accept his lot and to rejoice in his work. This is the gift of God. For he will not remember much the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Verse 20, he will not much remember, like looking back over time, looking back over a year, just like we're doing today, he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with today, joy in his heart. We've been made for purpose. You've been made for purpose. You've been made on purpose. God knows each person in this room exactly how you've been made because he made you. And he desires you not to feel like, oh, life is tough and it's so hard and everything. He's like, no, you've been made with purpose. Find joy in being used by God. Don't live for the weekends and neglect the fact that you've been made to serve. Use your life 
Don't waste it. Don't pass it by. But don't live just to gain. Don't live just to achieve because the destination is not the point. It does not matter if you get a little bit smarter or you stay a little bit dumber. You are who you are. Live that life the way God's calling you to live. In your job, in your marriage, in your relationship, in your school, with your siblings, in your community. Live it. Live it. The greatest tragedy is we just waste it. And if we can look back over this last year and come up with a list of things that mattered, that's going to be the kind of things that Solomon was talking about. We have 2020 hindsight now for one year. First thing you're going to realize is much of it you don't remember. So much of it really wasn't all that important. And that might be a little bit depressing to look over 365 days and not be able to remember that much. But maybe that's also something to think about for what we're going to do with this next year. And what things you do remember, you say, that definitely mattered. What if that's what you pour yourself into with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength? What if you love God like that all of the upcoming year? What will that look like when we look back on it? So for all of us, we can learn from Solomon, especially for the young of us. Please take anything that you're able to remember from what he said, put it into practice, and God will bless you. You'll be occupied with the gladness of God in your heart. You will realize that your life matters. And we want our lives to matter. Let me close in a word of prayer. And music team, will you come up and close us with a final song? Father God, we thank you for giving us your word. We know we can trust the Bible. We can believe it and follow it. We can live our lives by it and we will not be steered wrong. So I pray that you would steer us today. We're at a great point in a, a year, in a season of change, where just a little bit of steering by you would go such a long way in our lives. Steer us with what to say to the people that we don't know what to say. Steer, with, steer us with what to do with our money when we're not sure what decision to make. Steer us in our homes and our jobs. Steer us in how to love the people around us so that we can look back at the end of the next year and say, there was so much that you did that mattered. And fill us with gladness at the thought of that. Use us this upcoming year, Father. We thank you for the past year. We ask your blessing and your spirit's power and movement in our lives in the year to come. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.